0: Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Well, today I'm going to be in in quite a few places. We're continuing through a a series, and and the series is a lot less preaching and a lot more as I said last week, kind of DNA, kind of just getting some framework, some vision casting, and some uh, philosophy into why we operate as a church the way we do, you know, why we come to church as a as a corporate body to learn from each other and to inspire each other and to motivate each other and just stir one another up and to engage uh, with a, a very diverse group of people and. Last week, we talked about the importance of those larger social groups, those social network of people where we have similarities or commonalities, whether it's marriage or parenting or gender issues or uh, Bible knowledge, uh, pathway to truth and those sorts of things. When we come together in larger groups of 70 plus, uh, those are very, very important. And in fact, that's where we begin to create uh, relationships Relationships and today we're going to talk about the the groups that are created or should be created where we can find connections like not just relationships but actually relate to one another over connectivity and uh, not have to agree about about everything. Uh, I want to begin again in first John chapter two verse six, and I, if you've not memorized this verse, it is a great verse to center your life upon. It'd be a great verse to every morning when you wake up to just remember this. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk the way in which he walked. And, and so if we're gonna walk the way, Jesus didn't just accomplish things for us. Jesus modeled our accomplishments for us. Jesus modeled our goals. Jesus modeled discipleship and disciple making for us. And we've been talking about the way Jesus discipled within groups of people. And he was a master. And he modeled discipling in groups, in masses. And the apostle John also commanded that. If we claim to be in him, then we ought to be modeling for another generation as well. So again, Jesus didn't just live well while he was on the earth. Everything he did was modeling as an example for us to follow. So the way he modeled large groups was much different than the way he discipled groups of say 70. And he had different models for each group that he Ministered to, and I believe what that does is it proves to us that each grouping of people have different goals associated with them. So, in order to be a well-rounded disciple, so you you know you find inspiration in a big group, you find relation in you know large groups, you find the big and large. I mean, you guys are tracking right. And today we're going to talk about the connectivity and the, the maturing process and the, uh, the, the growing through diversity and, uh, and those sorts of things uh, in, a, in, a, in that group. And so each one of these groups—I'm not going to borrow from the other two yet—but each one of these groups have different components of disciple-making that if we put all of our eggs into one basket, as it were, we're going to miss on some very strategic disciple-making benefits— and it's gonna leave us kind of lopsided in our discipleship. And this is something that I have just recently discovered because of COVID, believe it or not. There's a lot of things. I went immediately to, to student through COVID to figure out why, the, why so many churches were able to be displaced over just a short period of time. I mean, for some churches, it was a, a month or two months that they didn't meet. And it completely dislodged the whole structure of the way church was done. And so there are things that we can learn that if we put everything into the public performance, uh, we're going to miss most of what Jesus taught us. So I would say God created us for relationships, but... Not only did he create us for relationships, but we cannot function at our our created level that God wants for us if we're not relating in every one of these areas, okay? Now, I will also begin by saying, we are naturally wired to gravitate toward people like us. Now, you know, us is a dangerous word, because if you were to be in another country right now, we could be us because we have some similarities. But in a, even in a room like this, we are dissimilar enough for us to kind of gravitate into whether it's geographical regions or whether it's seasons of life or whether it's you know, financial aptitudes or whether it's education or whatever it may be, if we're together long enough and relate long enough, naturally, we will tend to shrink back and gravitate toward people who have more things in common with us than not. Uh, and so then, that tells me that there is a spiritual dynamic here because what Jesus did is he always gravitated to people not like him. Jesus gravitated to people not like him. Of course, I mean, that's a bad illustration because there is none like him, right? So it's not just good for us to do that. God commanded for us to do that. And so it's best seen, I believe, in Jesus's spiritual formation of the disciples. It's also seen by the byproduct of what they produced in Paul's writings in his ministry of all the one another's, of all the expectations of how we are supposed to relate and connect with one another. So Jesus gave a very clear command as he was leaving earth, as he left his disciples, their job was to, anybody remember the command that Jesus gave the disciples? What were they to do? Matthew 28, make disciples. Jesus has spent three years making disciples and his last command to them on earth was to make disciples. And Paul, who was uh, of that generation but much later, also in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 says that that we are to everything that we've seen and everything that we have heard, he told Timothy to impart these to faithful men who will also be able to teach others as well. So this idea of replication ministry, the idea of multiplying disciple making is at the very heart of of Christianity. So Jesus' ministry was to replicate himself in his followers. And then by the time you get to John 17, which is Jesus' prayer before he is arrested, Jesus, Jesus goes to prayer by himself, and we have a record of that. But he spent time talking to the Father about the 12 men that he had discipled. That's who he was talking to them about, that they might you know, enjoy oneness, that they might be able to experience the Father at the same level he experienced the Father. And then he also prayed for that. But think of that think of that. A disciple of Jesus must disciple others. And I want you to hear that clearly. A disciple of Jesus must disciple others. So then, can you call yourself a disciple if you're not discipling others? It is the very heart of discipleship is making disciples of replication. So I wanted to ask you a question just to kind of I want to say start off. It's not not quite. But what if the father, when you stand before the throne room, what if the father judges you only by the disciples that you've made? Now watch. Jesus gave him gave them everything that he gave them for the point of the last command. Now you guys are equipped and able to make disciples. So the summation of his ministry is live as I lived and you'll be able to do as I do. So disciple making is the whole point of Jesus's ministry. It's the proof. It's the proof that we're walking with Christ. So then wouldn't it make sense that when we stand before the father, he just judges us by our fruit. Not the fruit of our own. Minds or our own hearts, the fruit of disciples. Who have we discipled? What is the character of the people that we have personally discipled? Your faith isn't proven by whether or not you die as a believer. It's by the character of the people that you've discipled to be like Jesus. You think of two different instances. One of them is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. When Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's, this is for Christians. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has what? Done. For what he has done in the body. And that word body... Uh, the specific word that Paul uses can be uh, literal or figurative as a continuation of life. So the deeds done in the body doesn't mean what your physical body has done, but by the way that you have lived. For every deed that is done, whether good or evil. Uh, Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for what? Every careless word they speak. Now, what I see here is when we stand before the throne of God, we're going to give an account for our activity, what we have done and what we have said. So uh, if you have a pen and paper and you used to take a notes, write this one down because I want you to remember it. We are judged by the fruit we produce, not by the intentions of our heart. And I'm speaking to disciples here this morning. This entire series is is really intended for those of you who are the church. Uh, and if this is your first Sunday, welcome. We're, we hope that you'll be a part of the family. We're in the process of learning what it looks like to be a light in this particular culture. We are judged by the fruit we produce, not by our intention. It's funny to me how we how often we we tend to judge ourselves by our intentions, how quick we are to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. And we, don't, we rarely give that away to anyone else. and We're often blind to our real fruit or to our real growth. I think it's why Jesus gives such clear guidance. The fruit itself is the proof. so groups of uh, this is this is true for group life not just church i'm going to make some church adjustments in just a moment uh, to adjust for these uh, in a church context but but typically groups of the size that we're talking about today uh, are one of three types, And so I'm, I apologize a little bit for the teaching part of this, but it's important to understand the framework. So the first type I wanna talk about is a bounded set, okay? Bounded, that's what even sociologists will call it this, so I'm just gonna take it. You can see it in scripture pretty clear too. But the bounded set is unsurprisingly focused on the boundaries of the group. It, it, the boundaries itself determines who is in and who is out, Right, it's targeted at a at a uh, who is in and who is out in a very specific group. A, a classic example of that would be a, a, maybe a country club. You know the respon- the requirements of a country club is pay dues. You know, uh, be of a certain class. Maybe uh, you got to keep certain rules uh, that are important. Satisfy whatever other requirements they are of the leadership committee, and then you're allowed to be a member of the club. So if you roll up in the front gate and you got all your swimming gear and you just want to swim in the pool, you have to have met the requirements or you ain't swimming today, right? We know how that works. That's a bounded set group. It's a, there's an expectation of who is in and who is out. Now, this is a very binary world that they live in, in, out. As long as you don't upset the boundary, you can stay in the group. And the church... Often operates like a bounded set. The bad news is, if you're in, you don't notice it. If you're in, you don't notice it as much. You know, there's a stereotype of country club-esque. Now, maybe not around in the River Valley, but certainly around the the country, there's a stereotype even attached to a, a belonging kind of a ilk. And I don't mean any disrespect for that. That's a very important group. But we create our boundary as a church focused on at least our understanding, doctrines, behavior, our history, maybe our confessions. And then we devote an enormous amount of energy to enforcing that separation. So the boundary that we set, the expectations that we set become the litmus test for whether or not you are a disciple. And most churches have their own boundaries of what that means. This church, if you don't this, then you don't that. If you don't over here, if you're this, then you can't that. And there's lots of of these, and some of them are very important. But by overemphasizing a few specifics, and again, it doesn't make them wrong, but sometimes we begin to raise the bar of what Jesus requires. And we begin to keep... We keep a lot of people from experiencing even the entry point of the kingdom of God because of our boundaries. So those who pass the test are on the inside. But once people get on the inside, and this is where I want to get a little bit preachy, once people get on the inside of the boundary set church, what now? What are the expectations now? It's almost like, well, I don't I don't, want to be, I don't want to be critical, and I don't want to be rude, and I don't want to be insensitive. But a lot of people sense that the idea of being a disciple is just belonging to a church that they're in that they may not even attend. Attending is not the point. Growing isn't the point. Belonging is simply the point. They said, I'm in. And so discipleship becomes a series of check-in-boxes. I've prayed a prayer. I've been baptized by immersion. I've can quote the confessions. I've went through the membership classes. I'm in. Sit. I've paid my dues. But there's very little expectation of continued growth, continued maturity, continued one another's. So we begin to build a Culture that produces Christian consumers rather than Christian disciples. And we begin to wonder why churches aren't growing missional leaders in the kingdom of God. What it it, it tends to do as well is it creates an idea of entitlement I'm in, give to me. The church begins to exist as an organization where members have benefits. Instead of a people to belong to, it becomes a club. And the people that are in it are the ones that rarely see it. There's a really good book called The Respect Effect. Paul Mishenko concludes this, and I'll just quote him. We are much more likely to treat others in ways that communicate value if we perceive that they are somehow like us Controlled experiments consistently show that we are more courteous, generous, and empathetic toward those with whom we share some meaningful common bond. And, and more often than not, that common bond is found in some collective agreement of people. Uh, rather than our brokenness or our neediness or our redemption, We begin to focus on the kingdom of this world. Our communication begins to be about our leisure, our expectations, what we're going to do, what we have done, and much less about advancing the kingdom of God uh, here and around the world. So a church or a person, for that matter, is seeking to be fruitful and to reach a previously unreached people must be willing to build authentic, real relationships, honest relationships. And no, no offense to this moment, this group isn't designed for that. This isn't that place of belonging. We can't be honest with each other right now. We can't relate to each other right now. And so to think that this is going to produce in us what Jesus has for us is folly. The goal of disciple making is not belonging. It includes belonging but also behaving and believing and connecting and serving and being engaged in each other's life. Our natural impulse is to make and accept people like me People that you know, you'll greet. People you don't know, you avoid. People that somebody you know knows, you might be acquaintances with. People that you don't know anything about them, we tend to turn into our people. We often do that. That's our natural impulse, is to make and accept people like me. But our spiritual impulse is to make people like him. The second group is fuzzy set. Discipleship, fuzzy. It's pretty obvious what it. Well, maybe it's not, but it. I believe that fuzzy set discipleship is an overcorrection of bounded set. Uh, some decide to break away because the boundaries are too thick to belong, or they've been wounded because they didn't get in, and so they create a whole another set for all of those who don't get. They want to break away from the institution, break away from the organization. And we see a lot of this today in many churches, but it's not not new. It's just a lot more common and it's a lot more visible. We've been seeing this breaking away, this deconstruction of boundaries for about at least 50 years, probably much longer, declaring that All are welcome into their group. There are no expectations. They say, since all are equal in God's sight, then there's no need for boundaries, just belonging. After all, that's what the New Testament was all about, people sharing their varied gifts of the body of Christ. But this fuzzy set approach feels great at first, but there are no goals attached to it either. Everything is so relaxed and everything is so relational especially when it's compared to the bounded set. But that free climate doesn't last very long because it doesn't have a clear identity, a clear direction. And when conflicts arise, there's no mechanism to deal with conflicts. And I, again, I don't, want to, I don't want to meddle, but you'll see a lot of new churches trying to break off a new way to do church for a new people. Or have you been abused in church? Or if you don't fit at church, we're a church for unchurched people. And they get this collection, and it doesn't last very long because at the first conflict, there's no mechanism. There's no rules. There's no doctrinal adherence. There's no theology that guides them. And so they become all over the place. And when the wrong people leave, more people leave. And they tend to just disappear like a mist on a sunny day. They don't last very long. Or they have to rebrand and go through another process. And so typically, this bounded set celebrates likeness, the fuzzy set celebrates diversity. And we live in a world today that keeps talking about celebrating diversity, but the issue is diversity can be separated just like likeness can be separated, but not exclusively from each other because they both spiral in the opposite directions from each other. They're not sustainable where you've got this group that's built on truth and this group that's built on grace, but grace and truth must coexist together. And so when churches focus on the people, It's not sustainable. But when the church focuses on Jesus Christ, and we're going to call that the centered set, where everyone that is here, the like-minded, the diverse, we're all going to focus on the centrality of Jesus Christ. And when we can focus on that, our ideas don't matter much. Our opinions don't matter. The issues don't matter. What matters is Jesus being clearly seen. And am I helping other people find and follow him? Am I becoming more like him? Am I leading my family to look more like him? And what's the fruit of that? Where we begin to grow based on servanthood, not leadership. Where we we grow personally by giving, not just receiving. You see it. If you're going to look for a new church, the kind of church that you want to belong to is a place where, yes, you can minister, but you also need to be in a church where you can minister. It is a give and receive. It is a truth and grace. It is we're not all in the same place on the same path, but we can all love each other. We're in different places, but we love each other. The thing that binds us together isn't what team we like or what kind of fish we like to go after. The thing that bonds us together is our love for each other to produce Christ likeness in each other, to reach out to one another, to recognize that if some new person comes in here, this is an opportunity for us to disciple them in that moment, to show them what unconditional love looks like in this moment. Sit with me, eat with me, go with me, be with me because I'm on a pursuit to be like Jesus and I want it so desperately for you Go with me. This is the best example of the ministry that Jesus produced. And it's where Jesus spent most of his time. Performing the one and others of Paul. Where we place ourselves under each other. Where we don't recognize our spiritual gifts alone in isolation, but we recognize our gifts as a part of our gifts. we'll talk about that more at another time, but where we recognize spiritual spirituality and we place ourselves under each other as we grow through, as I said, servanthood, not through leadership. So we know that God disciples us, God disciples us through relationships. God disciples us through relationships differently in each relational context or space, and each one of those has their own goal. I've already mentioned public space. That's large group. That's this group where we focus on inspiration, motivation, truth reminders, direction, vision casting, those sorts of things. Well, last week we talked about social space. You remember that's groups of 70 Plus or minus. That's where the focus is mission and service and affinity or relationships over issues. That's where you find your oikos, your expanded family or your network, your, your, uh, your daily relationships. And today we're going to talk about personal space. Yet yeah, today when I should be closing, I'm just beginning. But I'm almost done personal space. This is this is where Jesus spent most of his time. The 12 plus or minus. Now, we say up to 15 all the way down to 6. Anywhere in this group there is a atmosphere, an atmosphere that is created between 6 and 15. Once you get over 15, you start losing elements that are necessary for these particular things. It's where we it's where we find closeness. It's where we find connection. It's where we find support when we're hurt. You know, I find, and again, a little preachy. These are just new things. But I find it interesting when I talk to people who have experienced a lot of church hurt. It's a real thing. Churches hurt people. Churches aren't there for people. But here's the thing. Churches are not, this isn't intended to support This isn't tended to be the emotional stability of each individual. So when you contact a church and say, Hey, here's where I'm at. Listen, this is why we say you need to get into a group because groups are where we can offer support. That's where we can offer ongoing sustainability. It's where we can offer accountability and transparency. There's a real threat to discipleship. And... And maybe even especially in the church. It's the idea that discipleship happens by attending public space. And in all the spaces that discipleship occurs, public space isn't one. It's just not designed for it. It can point to a need, but it can't meet it. And more and more people I watch, not not just here, but lots of different places, more and more people are satisfied by simply attending. And fewer and fewer are growing as Christians. And once we stop growing, you know, you, you say yes to Jesus, there's this initial growth spurt. But once we stop growing, once we stop relating and connecting with each other, we begin to grumble and criticize and complain, and we find different rather than similar. While it is good to attend, and I'm not telling you not to attend, I'm saying we should attend even more it may produce some fruit in your life, but it cannot produce enough fruit to be sustainable even over the week, let alone over a lifetime. How many of you have experienced some some moment in church where you had an aha moment and intended to do something and by lunch you forget what the sermon was about? Don't shake your head, don't nod your heads. Or <laughs> well, at least by supper. Or beginning tomorrow I'm going to... Man, that was convicting today. Here's a thing I'm going to do. Never got around to it. You know why you don't get around to it? This isn't designed to produce that in you. One another is. That's why Jesus spent most of his time with a few. Because there, he could relate differently. There, he could connect differently. Jesus focused on that small group much more than the public group. Prioritized his time with the small group. Jesus proclaimed the kingdom to the large groups, but he met with groups of 20 to 70 in homes, but he spent considerably time. In fact, if you think about every group that Jesus ministered to, these 12 were a part of all of those groups. They received Jesus' best in terms of his time, energy, and attention. Jesus was with his disciples. All the time. they Everywhere, they, everywhere he would go, Jesus, Jesus had his disciples with him. As Jesus' crucifixion drew closer, he spent more and more time with his oikos and his koinonia, his fellowship of the few. And he spent less time with the great crowds that were always seeking after him. You see, Jesus' method of discipleship had very little to do with organization and everything to do with relationships. Jesus invited people in. He he used real life circumstances to disciple, not just platitudes and cliches. Jesus used the selfishness of James and John to disciple them. Jesus used the impulsivity of a Peter to disciple him. Jesus used the selfishness of a Judas. Jesus used the doubt of a Thomas. Jesus lived with these men to pour into them so they would know how to pour into others through multiplication. You can only get so close to large groups, but in personal space, you can get closer and much more intentional. Now, listen, I know, I'm I'm just gonna, gonna hasten. Um, I know the reluctance of being in a relationship like this, and let's just—I'm just, just say it this way: Who wants to be in a small group with Jesus? That's—that'd uh, be—that'd be difficult, unless you wanted to grow to be like Him. If you wanted just like the cream of the crop and wanted to be told what you wanted to hear all the time, Jesus isn't your leader. <laughs> And I realize some people don't want relationships because they don't want people getting too close because we're hiding things or we don't have to want to be on all the time. We don't want people asking us personal questions. This is not humility, folks. This is pride. This is a lack of desiring repentance in our lives. This is is a desire to put forward a performance, not to put forward Christlikeness. And I know there's a lot of reasons not to be around people and a lot of reasons not to relate, and a lot of people have been hurt by a lot of people. But Jesus uses relationships to disciple us. The personal context, this smaller group, is the perfect environment. You think about when Jesus would teach the large crowds. And, and he would do excellent, by the way, and we have the ability to read uh, so much. We're not very confused when Jesus speaks, but when Jesus spoke then, I mean, the crowds were like, what? What is he even talking about? And so when they would pull away in these small groups, you know what they would say to Jesus? What are you talking about? And Jesus would explain to them in that context, because you can't explain it in a large context. I can't, you can't take questions at the end of a sermon, although I, sometimes I wish I would. Sometimes you think you're clear and you're not. Small groups is where we ask, what do you think? What do you think about that? I'm processing, I'm trying to learn. What do you think about it? Where we're learning from each other, growing together as disciples. Some don't want to know what you think. Some don't care what you think. It's going to have no bearing on what they think or what they do. But this is isolated Christianity. This isn't the Christianity that Jesus created, where we are one together in Him. The answer to questions that you'd find like that, there, there, there's not just one answer. But when we're the only one whose advice we seek, we're going to be stuck in our growth if we're the only opinion that matters to us it's not possible to grow and when we hear from other people who may be wrong we have an opportunity to to challenge or be challenged we have an opportunity to grow together to study together to process together to see each other the way Jesus sees us truly. Learn to trust. In the groups of 70, affinity groups, we can learn to relate. In these groups, we learn to trust. 54 times in the New Testament, we're told to do things that we should do for one another. Love one another, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens, confess your faults to one another. Forgive one another. Be kind to one another. Greet one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. You cannot do that in a corporate setting. That's why you have to be connected to your people. Well, very quickly, I'll take you through a couple of things that I have learned. That this, this kind of connection, this personal space, this koinonia space, fellowship space is formed intentionally. When Jesus, in Luke chapter five, verse 27, and after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. Very intentional, to invite people along with you. Now listen, this this is something that has bothered me for some time, and I think this is the perfect time for me to just kind of throw it out there and see what do you think. But we must see each other see the value of not only our own growth and the value of becoming more like Jesus, but the desire that for others. Each of us should be connectors. Each of us should be looking for people that we've not connected with yet and looking to make those connections. Not satisfied with our current connections, but looking to connect, looking for relationships, willing to trust. In discipleship, people may respond better to invitations than they do opportunities. This is this is challenging. So I want to I want to throw this out as you're a personal connector in your everyday life. It's one thing to say to somebody, listen, you're welcome to come to church if you'd like. You're welcome to come. And I know that we mean that. We could even put that out and say, hey, everybody's welcome to connect. What do you think will be better? To say, hey, you're welcome to attend if you'd like to. Or I would personally like to ask you to come with me to church. Which one do you think is a little bit more personal? It takes it takes the pressure off the person for you to say, I would like to invite you to come with me on a journey. You might want to polish that a little bit. It seems a little creepy. <laughs> they may be welcome to come, but I'm telling you, They want to be invited. They want to be invited to sit beside you. They want to be invited to go to lunch with you. They want to be invited to know who you are. They walked in here. Being a welcoming church is not nearly as Jesus as inviting people into your life. Some people won't stay. Some people, you don't want to stay. It'll all work out, especially if you're doing it for the glory of the Lord. Uh, Mark chapter two, verse 16, it says, and the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? You see, Jesus gathered people from multiple uh, socioeconomic boundaries To form his little group of 12. I mean, if you think about it, man, Jesus broke all the social norms of bringing people together who otherwise would never rub shoulders with each other. And he made them a family built around a heart and mission rather than looks and location and money and influence. He put together fishermen and tax collectors, those who worked for Rome and those who were only loyal to Israel. Those who belonged to society and those who did not belong in society, those who had education with those who did not. but the heart was what mattered to Jesus. And Jesus was intentional at breaking that norm, of putting diversity together, because sometimes a fisherman might have a different illustration than a soldier than a rebel. This is still the very best representation of a Christian community. Belonging to each other with nothing in common but Jesus and love. People come to church looking for something, needing something, offering something. But the responsibility of belonging is on the church. We can be friendly, but we need to pave the path clearly with friends. We need friends. We find friendships in large social space, but we find family in personal space groups. Jesus still gathers people in small groups who otherwise might not ever. There's people in this room right now, and I know everybody don't know everybody, but uh, I like, I like kind of knowing a little bit about everybody. I can probably name just about everybody in here. And, you know, you, sometimes you'd be really surprised who you're sitting with on a Sunday morning. And what you have in common with people that you might not meet. Not only was Jesus deliberate about inviting each member of his 12 to follow him, he was very deliberate about teaching them too. Matthew chapter five, verses one, two, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them. The, the importance of learning trust, the importance of going through the word of God together, that is our, that is our centered mark the Word of God. The Word of God must be where we gain our insights, not our friends' opinions. Everything begins to fall apart there. The Word of God is our commonality. In these groups that Jesus established as primary is where iron sharpens iron. Not in the hallways during church. In these groups. Small groups reach beyond They're small groups as well. Jesus modeled ministry to the 12, but he also expected ministry from them. He served them. They watched him serve, and then he served with them. And finally, halfway through his earthly ministry, he sent them out to serve. And they came back to celebrate. Mark 6, 7. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So small groups don't just exist for themselves. These relationships exist to come together as one to serve others. They may minister to others outside the group as well. Maybe there's a, a meal to serve, a family to visit, uh, to pray for, to pray with. There's a, somebody who is down on their luck that needs some help. Maybe there's a, a shut-in that needs something that they don't even know how to ask for. But being in relationships with people gives us insight to know what people need before they even ask. place to put other people first. Lastly, small groups provide a place of refreshment. Mark 6, 13, 31. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And that ministry got hard, but Jesus used these groups for them to find refreshment and rest. And in the midst of our Very chaotic, hurried lives, personal space groups. I hate calling them that, but that's what they are. They should offer us a place of refuge and belonging. Something that we would miss if we're not there. A person, a family to miss if they're not there. A place to just breathe and to be real. Sometimes it takes a long time for that cohesion. Some of you still benefit from groups that you no longer meet with because you still are in relationship with people at that at that level, and those groups have been done for twenty years, but you still have those strong connections that has contributed greatly to your discipleship now, speaking of being real, i'm going to end with this one: these personal size groups give you a chance to be annoyed every, every now and again. A lot of people don't want to get into small groups because they don't want to be real and, and they don't want to deal with the emotional maturity it takes when someone is real with them. Who in their right mind would choose to be annoyed with people Annoyed by somebody you don't even like. Some people are high maintenance. Like no matter what you give them is never enough. More and more and more and more. Many of you just thought of a name. Somebody may just thought your name. (laughs) There's something about being in a relationship when somebody is annoying you to death. This never happened to me. But this is where you learn to practice love, right? There's something about staying in a relationship with someone who is annoying you. That's where your love is tested. That's where your forgiveness is tested. That's where forbearing one another. I mean, why would Scripture be so clear in all of the forgiving and reconciling and all of the forbearing and all of the putting up with and all the esteeming others if there wasn't going to be annoying people in your life? Some of you have done excellently at avoiding annoying people. Stop it. The rest of us need some help with them. (laughs) And I know you may say, well, I don't want to be in a group with people that I don't like. I get it. I really do. Or maybe people you don't know. But I'm going to tell you, you're going to be in heaven for all eternity with a lot of people that you didn't like on earth. And more people that you don't know. What a great time to prepare. So just get over it. Being connected has positive things, but it also gives us a chance to be annoyed and to learn how to grow through it. Jesus said anybody can be can love the, the, the lovable. Anybody can be patient with people you like, patient with people you have a history with, but how do you do with people that annoy you? That's maturity. That's friendship. That's connecting. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 and 9 says, Above all, Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. What does that mean? It means love overlooks a lot of stuff. Yet love bears all things. Love believes all things. Hopes all things. Have you ever had somebody talk to you about somebody that you love? Talk to you negatively about somebody you love? how quick you are to defend them, even if the person talking to you is right. That's what love will do. It's what love rooted in Christ will do. And he finishes the verse by saying, be generous regarding hospitality without complaint. Invite everyone into your life and don't grumble about it. It's funny to me, 2,000 years ago, the first, the first disciples knew that this was going to be an issue, a resistance to partner with people unlike you. But it is the essence of the kingdom. It's commanded because Jesus modeled it. And there are parts of Jesus that you cannot learn, truths about Jesus that you cannot apply without being in a personal space with others that are not like you. Receiving and giving. So, before that sounds too much like a commercial, in the next few weeks, you're going to be hearing about the opportunity for these kinds of groups. I want to make a public statement and say to be a group leader in our church, there are some expectations. You have to be in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's, that's pretty much it. So if you are interested in leading a group, maybe you think that there are people that you would like to invite into your life as you are becoming more like Jesus, people that you would like to share life with, Maybe there's some of you who at this very moment are not in relationship with other Christians quite like this. My goal is not to organize them. My goal is to set them free. We need these moments like this to set vision. We also need groups where we can struggle through issues of life together in a large group and learn to relate to one another in those issues But we also need a circle of brothers and sisters helping us to be more like Jesus on a personal level. Jesus modeled it. I think we've been missing it for far too long. And I believe that he wants to use those in this church to change the river valley. Will you bow your heads with me and stand, please? Please. I want to get real personal for just a second. And I don't want to talk about groups. I want to talk about reluctance. I want to talk about the things that get in our way from saying yes. Talk about the busyness of our life that doesn't allow time for Jesus modeling. The brokenness that... It has happened to us because we did trust people once and we can't let it go maybe the arrogance that I'm too good for those people and you may not know your heart you may not know your reasons but today I want us just to take a moment and just ask the Holy Spirit Lord reveal to me what you want from me in relationship to people And whatever those issues are, if there's somebody you need to forgive, if there's somebody you need to seek forgiveness from, if there's something you need to repent over, if there's a character issue within you that needs to go away, today I want you to give that to the Lord. You say I'm just not I'm just not people people I'm not extroverted you know what I get it I'm not either surprisingly enough but I can tell you that being in relationship with people is good because if I didn't have that I'd be all by myself most of the time and that's not good maybe everywhere you go it's all about you and you don't want to be tied to just a single group. Well, maybe, maybe today you need to recognize the importance of receiving from others as well. Maybe we need to not be so important. Lord, we have said yes to you. We love you and we trust you. And I pray that the proof of that trust, the proof of our faith would be found in our relationship to one another. And, and in our relationship to one another, we learn how to love people that are not like us. We, we learn how to serve the least of these. People who don't think like us or believe like us or, or live like us, look like us. Lord, help us to be a true representation. We pray, we've prayed it for 2,000 years, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Perhaps the church is the greatest effort of that. May your kingdom be seen through your kingdom people as we relate to one another. May the world know that the Father has sent the Son by the way we love one another. Help us to see value when we see each other. Help us to see you when we see each other. We thank you for modeling so well and teaching us so clearly how important these relationships are and help us avoid the collateral damage of trusting our flesh. And maybe we just walk in obedience. In Jesus name we pray, amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.